Good morning. I'm uh, Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. If I didn't get a chance to say hi to you, uh, please stop me on the way out. Um, we have gift bags and little gray cars on the wall. If you want us to reach out to you, we'd love for you to fill one of those things out, and you can drop it in the offering box on your way out or hand it to somebody, and, and you could literally probably hand it to anybody, and they'll get it to me or one of the other pastors. So, um, this, uh, this series in Psalms is intended to equip us to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's, our, that's, that's what we're trying to do, right? Like, that's what God wants uh, for us. And so last week we saw um, really kind of what we would normally think of as a psalm, right? It's a song, it's praise, it's, it's just it's looking at creation, looking at God's creation and praising God for who he is and what he's done and all of this. And it's, and it's like, you know, the rah, rah, we're joyful, everything's good. Uh, this one is not that. Right, as we just sang a extremely downcast song at the very end, right? Like um, this is a psalm of lament, and I had I had uh, LD read Psalm 42 and 43. That's because I think they're the same psalm, <laughs> and uh, there's a refrain in there, um, and it's going to be repeated three times: twice in Psalm 42, and then once in Psalm 43. And so we're going to walk through that, and we're going to see what this. Um, how this equips us, because the reality is, is that sorrow and grief, this is a psalm of lament, not a word that we use very often. Um, maybe you've read the book of Lamentations. That's what that is. It's sadness. It's a book of sadness. It's very uplifting, right? Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He wrote uh, Lamentations, and so what we have is this, this constant theme where God knows when you're in sorrow, and he equips us. In, in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our lament, he equips us, and that's what we're going to see in Psalm 42 and 43, is this, this picture of God, and, and I, I want to create this, this contrast for you before we dive in. I, I want you to imagine you're in this pit. You're in this, I don't call it a well, right? With no water. It's dark. The world throws you toys to play with. God gives you a ladder. That's, that's what this is. We're going to go through like seven things in this psalm where God goes, do this, do this. Do this. It's not a prescription. It's not, and, and I want to be very careful with this, right? Whether we're talking about depression, grief, sorrow, lament, all of those things, like those are real emotions, real feelings, real states of our lives. Doesn't take away that there's medical necessities and medical things that we do, right? And I, I was telling most about this as I was kind of churning through this this week. You know, most of you know that I had a pretty traumatic incident a few years ago, right? And, and it's, it was cool because as I was preparing this, I went, it's pretty analogous, right? So I, there were two contractors that, that saved my life. One gave me CPR, the other one prayed. And I don't know that I really thought about it until I was preparing for this. Um, I wouldn't want them both to do the same thing. <laughs> right? 
I mean, think about that. And this is, and this is God equipping us, going, do these things. It doesn't take away any of the medical pieces of, like, CBR is still CBR. It's an important thing to do. So, with that, let me, uh, let me jump in. Um, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for knowing our state, knowing our grief, knowing our sorrow. When we don't think anybody else knows the depths of our depression and the darkness that surrounds us, you do. And, uh, and you don't just know it. You want us to thirst for you. You want us to come to your presence. You want us to worship in the midst of that. Not in some fake happiness, but in a real deep lament that directs our attention to the only God of the universe. Be with us this morning, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to start off um, looking at the circumstances. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the history of this because I think there's, there's so much stuff that I want to get through um, that uh, you can go back and, and read through it. The Sons of Korah, go Google that, like who the authors are. It's pretty interesting. We might, we might, we might have time later on in another psalm to, to talk about it. Um, obviously, there's Psalm 42 and there's 43, so there's, they're distinct, but I think as we walk through it, you're going to kind of see like, yeah, they, they kind of seem like they were probably... There were probably one song, and it really is a song. There's a refrain in there that's repeated three times. Like, it's very clearly uh, sung. So we're going to start. I'm going to bounce all around. So I hope that you have, we'll have the verses on the screen, um, but I'm, this is not going to be chronological because what's happening is um, th- this is a song, and as they're singing it, they're, they're singing like, here's my circumstances, here's how I feel, here's what I need to do, here's my circumstances, here's how I feel, here's what I need to do, right? So it's... And so I'm going to try to take that all and kind of break it down. So we're going to talk about the circumstances first. We're going to talk about where this, this author of the psalm is at. And so we're going to start in Psalm 42, verse 3. These are the circumstances. These are where the psalmist is at. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here's the interesting part about the psalm. We have no idea why he's crying. We don't know. But he's crying. He's weeping. He's not eating. You guys been there? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to walk through some of these things because this is where this starts. And, and, and it's awesome because he doesn't say this is the circumstance and so you kind of go, like, I can't really relate to it. No, it, it's, it's ambiguous, I think, intentionally by God, so that you go, I don't know why you're crying. Have you been crying all day and all night for some situation, for some circumstance in your life? Because the psalmist was. And then on top of that, what happens? Ridicule. Ridicule, ridicule right? They, they, well, they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Why are you crying? You don't need to cry. Aren't you saved? You shouldn't be sad. You have Jesus. You guys heard these things? 
And, it, and, it's, and it's a sad circumstance when we try to solve real deep sorrow. And we go, you shouldn't be sad because Jesus saved you. And you're like, you know what? I'm sad because I'm sad. There's grief. There's sorrow. It's okay. It does, they, these are not opposites. It's, it's not a matter of you can't be depressed or sorrowful or have grief and be a Christian. They are one and the same. In fact, as you read through Scripture, you see that that's probably more characteristic of the Christian life than the happiness skipping through the fields. So don't let us create these opposing forces as in you feel bad or you, that you're not really saved or your faith isn't real, right? We hear over and over in Scripture, I believe, help my unbelief. That, that theme is pervasive. And so, and so we hear this. And so what do the, the people, the adversaries say? They're like, where's your God? Where? You, should, you should be happy. Aren't you a Christian? Where's your faith? And so that adds to this. In fact, we see it again in uh, verse 10. 42.10, it says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? This is cut deep. The word is actually mortified my bones, like killing my bones. Like this isn't just a superficial, like, off-handed comment. This is like wounding. Where is your God? Your God wouldn't let this happen except for all throughout Scripture where we see circumstances where God does these things or allows these things in our lives. Look at the verse before that. So, so, here's, so he's crying. There, he's being taunted. Where's your God? So that adds to it. And look what he says in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Step three of our circumstances is we go, does God even care about me? My circumstances aren't changing. My grief is still there. There's no end in sight. I don't even know how it's going to end. God has just forgotten me. And then in chapter 43, verse 2, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? It's a rejection. You see where this takes us, right? We, we, we have some circumstance that causes us to cry, causes us sorrow. The, the people around us go, you should stop. You're, you know, you're, where's your God? And then we start to think that God's forgotten us, we, and then we think that God has rejected us. Maybe, maybe I was never saved. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe my sin is so great that God has chosen rejection. These are the circumstances that this lament starts with. Maybe, you, maybe you're there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you've been there. If you're young in here, maybe you have not gotten there yet. But I would venture to guess that all of us in this room will, will be at some state of this at some point in our lives. And so 
when we sit up here and we, we talk through all these great truths, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that God is for us, and all these things, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where it's like, I got to grab onto something, and I got to know what this means for me in my life, and what God expects of me in this response. And so that's what we're going to uh, cycle through. All right, seven responses. I said solutions, and I don't want that to sound like if you just do these seven steps, you're going to be done, okay? I, I want to be really clear about that. These are seven rungs to the ladder, right, that are helpful. And this isn't self-help. This is what God is telling us we ought to do and how we ought to respond. And so the first one is preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Look at 42, verse 5. This is the refrain. He's going to repeat this again in verse 11, and then in uh, 43, verse 5. This is the same refrain. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil against me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He questions the sorrow of his soul. He, he intellectually knows that he should have hope and not sorrow. He's like, I, I, I know this to be true, I just don't, I just don't have it. He questions his feelings. You guys, this is just because you feel something doesn't mean it's the right thing for you to be feeling. It doesn't make it sin. Okay, I was kind of working through this verbiage, okay? Doesn't make it sin, your feelings, but we should question our feelings. And we read this in Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. Like, we got to question ourselves. And so when we feel something, we should go, is that the right feeling? Should I feel that way? And then look at what he says. He says, hope in God. He's, he's talking to himself, right? He goes, why are you cast down? Hope in God. And then look at what he says. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Those are possessive. My salvation, my God. He is your God. If you here are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit that's dwelling inside you, you are an adopted child of God. Preach that to yourself. Remind yourself of that. And we're going to walk through this over and over as we see different ways to do that. But we got to preach it to ourselves. Because our minds are going to run. You're going to wake up in the morning. And what was the first thought that came out of your mind? Sometimes they aren't good. Sometimes they're very downcasting. Sometimes they're very discouraging thoughts or the last thoughts when you go to bed. So what we need to have is words on our tongues that fight those thoughts. You with me? You got to speak to yourself because you can't let your mind just start to run, right? We've all been there, right? Our minds run. These days, I can't seem to be able to get through a prayer without going off on some crazy tangent 
for, for a considerable amount of time. And that's our minds. That's what they do. And so what does he do? He goes, no, I'm going to stop him. I'm going to speak truths. What are the truths that you speak? This is where we memorize scripture. You guys, I, I can't say this enough. I don't care if you have it word for word. If you get the gist of it, it's going to speak into your soul at the times when you need it. Okay? So don't, so don't get yourself all bothered about having the right. It's okay. And my daughters are, get taught this differently at, their, at PEP. But like, it's okay if you say somewhere in the Bible it says. <laughs> I, I, get, get there. Try to find where it's at. Maybe, maybe the book. I think it's in. That's okay too. But don't let that be the discouragement for you memorizing these truths. How far away does God remove your sins from you? Good, right? That's Psalm 103. Probably, I didn't look, I Googled it, right? <laughs> but that's the truth that I preach to myself. You have to. You have to know this. Because otherwise, you're going to be sitting here going, oh, God's still punishing me for that sin, even though I've repented for it. No, no, no. That's not true. That's a lie. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, God's for us? Well, he's pretty powerful. That's good, right? These are the truths that we run through and that we have to memorize and go through. And, and what Jesus even tells us, I give them eternal life, and what? And no one can snatch them out of my hand, right? There's three. <laughs> There's three. There's about the gospel just written out. You gotta have these things. You gotta be able to speak and preach the gospel to yourself. All right, step two. Thirst for God and not for the world. Don't be sitting in the bottom of this pit waiting for the next new shiny toy to play with to distract yourself from the fact that you're in this pit. Look for a ladder. Figure out a way to get out. Thirst for God. Thirst for that only help that really exists. Look at what it says in uh, the very beginning. And this is how the psalmist starts this. Verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Long for him. You see, there's a temptation when we're in this grief and sorrow to roll over in bed. There's a temptation to isolate. And this is, this is why it's so dangerous. It's so cyclical. And yet, we see that Scripture teaches us exactly what we ought to do. And so he says, thirst for God. Thirst for him. Long for him. Long for the answers that he provides. Long to be in his presence. You see, it's so easy for us to have a prideful response in the midst of our grief and sorrow. I know that sounds weird. Let me, let me dissect that a little bit. Here's our prideful response. I shouldn't be going through this. This is unfair. This person isn't going through this. Why am I going through this? God is sovereign. We will see this as we walk through this. 
You see, thirst for God, thirst for him. Don't recognize in your humility that he has a purpose and a plan, and this is for his glory and our good. That's the humble response to our circumstances. So we, we take our lot, we bear our cross, we look at it and we go, it is what it is. What does God want me to do with this? What is, how does he want me to see this from his perspective? Don't cast it off to the side and go, I'm just trying to muddle my way through this. I'm going to just distract myself with these other toys and shiny things in this world. He describes this as flowing streams. And yet we're satisfied with just putting these things in our lives that just distract us. And we feel like, well, if I can just turn this thing off, if I can just turn my brain off, if I can stop my thoughts, instead of preaching to myself truths, instead of diving into Scripture, instead of gathering with other people and, and speaking the truths of God and the gospel, I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to pour stuff in and drown out the noise. And so we turn on the TV, or we play music, or we do whatever, we invest, and, we, and, and it's not even just like actually noise, right? Like we actually just consume our lives. We get busy. We make ourselves busy. We get to make ourselves busy with work. We make ourselves busy with our kids. We make ourselves busy with shopping and, and, and absolutely anything, right? And we, we put all these things in, and we go, I'm just so busy. And we wonder why that doesn't solve the problem. Thirst for God, not for the things in this world. Long to gather. It's the third one. So it says in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. The sons of Korah were the worship leaders of the Levites. So here, here's the sons of Korah writing this psalm, and they go, man, remember what it was like? He's, he's, he's recollecting, he's remembering what it was like to gather in community and to worship. That's what he was doing. And he goes, it was so good. It was so good. Oh, man, you guys, like, I don't know. I totally get the chills. Like, I don't know what it is that you, you guys do up here on, on the stage, but like when you, when you stop the instruments and then everybody's singing, whatever that is, super cool, right? Am I the only one? Like it's like, it's actually like all of us. And it's like, you know, I, I feel like the band is like getting us up to speed and they're like, okay, go. <laughs> and then we go for a little bit and then we fall. Yeah. But I think it's like this, it's this beautiful thing. And I, I, I love that. I can't do that in my, in my house. I can't do that in my car. So he remembers that, and he longs that. And not, it's not even just the worship, it's, it's you guys, right? It's each other, it's seeing each other, it's, it's, it's jamming up the hallway right there because you haven't seen people and you're talking and everything's, it's good. It's, it's not letting the band get to their third, second song because we're all seeing each other and meeting each other and talking, it's good. It's nourishing. We should long to gather Together, in fact, the author of Hebrews says this in, in Hebrews chapter 10, and this is a caution for us. I already said this once, that we have to be gathering together. Look at what it says in verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the gathering isn't just the gathering. God, God designed his church to gather, right? Like that, and, and that's a whole other sermon, but like, like that's what this is. Like God said, I want to have a gathering of believers and I will be present and my Holy Spirit will be present. And what's going to happen in that? It says it right here. Um, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and encourage one another. This is where people are going to look you in the eye and go, how are you doing? No, 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 really. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a little bit. I'm not taking role. I just haven't seen you in a little bit. I care about you. We love you. Right? And we say that to each other. And all of a sudden, you, you have this transparency, this, this realness of what this relationship and this church family is ought to be like so that we can encourage each other. And you go, I'm doing horrible. Can we say that? Or do we all just say fine and good? We've got to break that down. We've got to be able to be real. So listen had a really bad week. I'm really suffering right now. Allow somebody to say, how can I be praying for them? What can I be doing? Be encouraged. Long to gather together. Remember God's sovereignty. Look at this one, verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 kind of starts off weirdly. So I think it says, and my God... It kind of finishes up verse 5. Anyway, you can see that in your Bible. But... All right, verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Anybody? <laughs> this is when you're reading this stuff, go Google it. It doesn't take very long to figure out. Like That, that mountain is in Lebanon. It's the source of the Jordan River. The, the valley, the, right, flowing with milk and honey is part of the promised land. What he's doing is he's, he's remembering that God's promises from old were fulfilled, that, that God is faithful. He's sovereign. He said that he was going to give us a promised land, and he did. Awesome. This is like a marker for the psalmist. He's like, do you remember when God did that thing? It's the same God. I'm still his adopted child. He still loves me. He's still for me. And so if he's done that in the past, if he's stayed with me and walked with me through something and promised me something and delivered, why would I not think he's going to do it again? So what are your markers? When Israel crosses the Jordan River, in uh, I think it's Joshua chapter 7 maybe, he sets up 12 stones. And these are like markers as a memorial. And he says, these are going to be here so that you can come back and go, do you remember when God stopped this river? That's why. It's so that you can tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, like, this is where we crossed over and God stopped this river. Like, he gave us the promise. Like, this is it. So what are you telling your kids? What are your markers? What are the places where you've seen God interact in your life? And you can look back at it and say, that's God's faithfulness. You see, if we aren't telling our kids these things, if our kids don't know these things, or if our grandkids don't know these things, or if we don't even know these things, why would they think God is faithful? Because of 
abstract stories of people that don't involve their lives? Or do you have a testimony to tell your kids of where you've seen God work in your life or in the lives of your friends or in the lives of the church body? Have these markers. So that's the first thing. He looks back at that. And then look at what it says in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. That doesn't sound like fun. Your breakers, your waterfalls, your waves. He's saying like, I think we sang something like, like, the troubles never cease. And then we, didn't we sing that? I think I actually remember the verse this time. But they go through the fingers of God. He's sovereign. There's nothing that's happening in your life that God doesn't know about, that he hasn't allowed to have happen or is ordaining it to happen for your good and his glory. That's it. That's the end of that story. And I know that's a hard truth, especially when things are tough. But we have to go back to that. We have to recognize that God is sovereign. He isn't trying to figure out how to solve your problem. In fact, what you think might be a problem is, might be his solution for a different problem. <laughs> you see, it's perspective, and this is what the psalmist takes us to. He goes, remember that God is sovereign. The good things that God's done in the past that's been great, the bad things that are going on, he's still sovereign. He's sovereign over all of it. That should give us a sense of comfort if we remember that God is for us and that he loves us and that he disciplines us and that he cares for us and that he wants us to be more like his son. You see, it all connects. It's all part of the gospel. It's all part of us being adopted children of God. Pray in humility. Look at what it says in verse 8, 42 verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. His prayer is that he would experience God's steadfast love in, his, in the day, and that he would have songs of praise on his tongue at night. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to have happen. And so he's asking God for that. He's like, I know you're sovereign. I know you want me to be praising you. I want the same thing. Help me get to that point. Help me understand my circumstances so that I can be praising you. I want to praise you. You see, in contrast to this, in contrast to praying in humility, is to stomp up and down, and to say, I'm not going to talk to you, God, until this problem's fixed. It's another solution that we go to often. And you say, well, if you're not going to help me, I'm not going to talk to you. It sounds childish, but it's super popular. And I think we've, I don't want to say popular, it, it's, it's our natural bent, it's our sinful, I mean, and that's exactly where Satan wants us to go, right? Yeah. I can't believe he's letting, you, letting this happen to you. That's not fair. And you go down this path of pride. But that's not what the psalmist does. 
He says, God, I want to understand. I want to understand and I want to worship you. And so he's praying for that. If you turn over to James chapter 1. You see, when we see our lives from God's perspective, it changes everything. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it joy. Count it all joy. That's what he says. That's what he says, and that's what he prays for. Then look at uh, chapter 43, verse 3. He says, seek truth, seek truth, seek to understand this fully. Psalm 43, 33, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Light and truth. If you've got a Bible, I would just circle those right there. Send out your light. Illuminate. Show me. Show me what you're doing here. Help me to understand. That's a humble prayer. That's us going to God, going, you're sovereign. I know you're sovereign. I know you love me. I know you haven't forgotten about me. I know you haven't rejected me. I know these truths because I'm preaching the gospel to myself. Shine your light on us. Help me to understand. Help me to see this from your perspective. And then give me truth. Don't allow me to rest in the lies of our adversaries. We're good at lying to ourselves. We're good at listening to the lies on social media, on everything, right? There's lies floating all around about who you are, what you're worth, how important you are, what you should be, what you shouldn't be, what's fair, what's not fair. No. Truth. Seek truth from God. And what's the result? Exactly what James just quoted. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. Not happiness. Not temporary, fleeting happiness. The psalmist doesn't end with everything going great. He's not skipping around once he's done with this psalm. He's still in it. It ends why are you downcast, O oh my soul? That's the ending of this psalm. It's not, a, it's not a fairy tale story. It's not like, hey, do these seven things, and then at the end, look, pop out on the other side, and you're going to be happy, and everything's going to go smooth. That's not it at all. But that's not our joy. Our joy is exceeding. It's everlasting. It's eternal because our joy rests on Jesus Christ. It rests on what he has done for us. And so that's what he's saying here. He's like, do you understand that if you have this light and truth in your life, and where do we get truth? From his word, from scripture. 
you will have exceeding joy, a, a steadfast joy in your life. Doesn't mean you're not going to be depressed with joy or filled with grief and joy and sorrow and joy. Those aren't incompatible. And the last one, chapter 43, verse 1. He goes to a, a courtroom, if you will, and he, he hopes in deliverance. He says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. At the end of all of this, he goes, Save me. Save me. That word vindicate is, is it, it can, it's like kind of judge. Like, he's like, let's put it all out, right? I mean, look at the terms he uses. Defend my cause, unjust man, vindicate me, right? He's in a courtroom here. He's like, just, God, you, you know who I am. You know where my heart is. You know my circumstances. You know how I feel. Deliver me. You know that I've repented. You know that I, I wish that I hadn't done that. You know that they, these aren't the circumstances that I wanted. Like, but he wrote, rests on what? God's justice. That God is just. He's just. He isn't like us. We're kind of just. Right? We try, we, we, we all think that we're just, but we're not. We're bent towards things that work out better for us than for others. It's just, that's our sinful nature, right? But God is just, and the psalmist trusts in that and goes, you know what, God? I trust your justice. Deliver me. Deliver me from this. I, I don't know what to do other than ask God, petition God to save me. These seven things certainly aren't the end of it. But they all rely on one thing. And that's the character of God. All of this falls apart if God is not who he says he is. If God isn't just, if he isn't for us, if he isn't loving not even loving, if he doesn't define love, if, if these aren't the characteristics of God, then we have no reliance and this psalm is worthless. But the reality is, is that these are the characteristics of God. And you, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, have a relationship. He has adopted you and he's brought you into this relationship and he wants you to know him. He wants you to know his character. Because when you know his character, the same character that sent his son to die for us, then all of these things become clear. And they're things that we can rest on and trust on and hope in because we know that he's sovereign, that he's for us. He sent his son to die for us, to rescue us, just to give us the relationship. And so when we go through these circumstances in our lives, 
when we're struggling, when we're trying to figure out which way is up. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't rejected you. In fact, it's just the opposite. You're his child, and he knows everything that's going on. And he's allowed it, and he's going to use it for your good and his glory. And you will have exceeding joy. And you will be with him one day in eternity celebrating all that he's done. That's where we can rest. Let me pray.